Folk Live. Today we're talking about spirits and anxiety. You may be saying, I don't know if I have any spirits, but do you have anxiety? Has there been a more anxious time for the world ever? Well, it's all it all ends today. We're going to solve that. No problem. Thanks so much for coming and hanging out. This is the show where we try to find goodness and truth. Uh, oh, I didn't. I was going to have my passage ready that said, look, you can only really grow spiritually if you grow with these other people who are trying to be spiritual, but I forgot it. So that's a good paraphrase. That's what we're doing here. We're getting together, pooling our best selves and uh, trying to continue to become more and more happy, functional, good people. We'll be answering your questions live. Who will be answering them? Well, I'll show you. It's our esteemed panel. Please uh, introduce yourselves. Hi, I'm Karin Childs, community manager and off the left eye writer and really happy to be with you here today. And I'm Chelsea Odner, a writer for Off the Left Eye and help with production and stuff. And I'm very happy to be here. I'm Cara Dom. I'm the Latin consultant and part of the moderation team. And happy Friday, everybody. That's the tensest part because I don't know. You guys are happy to be here today, but there could be another day when you're not. And it's going to start it off on a strange, awkward <laughs> foot. So we got through that. Hey, everybody. How do you think this happens, a program like this, about this kind of stuff? We, it's because you support us. We are a not-for-profit, and your contributions are what let this stuff happen. They, it's safe to say there would be no show if it weren't for you. Support us right now. We, if we raise $100 during this show, we'll give you an extra 15 minutes as a token of our gratitude of question, answering, discussion, spiritual growing. You'll see our little thermometer go up as you make your contributions. And yeah, it's a gimmick, but it really makes this message go out. And this message is helping a lot of people. We, we see it in the comments every day. So make a contribution. That would be so great. And it'll go twice as far because we have a two to one match. So you donate $5 off the left. I get $10. All right. So that's going to be great. Plus, if you're a brand new donor, if you're like, ah, I've watched a few shows and maybe today I'll do my first donation, you will be entered into a raffle for off the left eye logo swag. And at the end of September, you just may be the lucky winner of something that's going to make you super, super cool. So thanks so much for everyone for your support. Get your questions in. If you're there in the chat, write them in and uh, submit them. And that's all we're going to talk about. We have no pre-prepared questions here. So get them in. Also, if you're watching not live, you can still donate, still get that match, still make it happen. So there's no there's no time like whenever you're watching uh, to donate. Okay, while you're getting your questions in, while we're revving up that engine, we actually asked you a question earlier this week. The question was, have you ever had something you were really anxious about, then you weren't, even though none of the facts of the situation changed? It's a very specific phenomenon, but it's a very real one that I feel like happens a lot. So, Karin, what did what did the people have to say about that? Here are some responses, and I really appreciate the responses. Uh, it's a it's, it's kind of a personal question and a very specific question, and and I was really touched by by what people had to say. First one: This happens, but never as often as I wish it would. I have learned through my studies of Swedenborg through your videos that my best response is to ask the Lord to defend me first and foremost from myself and the barriers I put up to prevent the divine from helping me and the mental and spiritual doors I leave open for the darkness to find a way into my mind. This often helps. Strange, but true. <laughs> yeah, strange, but true. 
Yes, because I realized that I couldn't control the outcome of the specific circumstance and I could let go of the heaviness of worrying and ruminating because it didn't change a thing except making me miserable in the present moment. Mm. So true. It just doesn't help. <laughs> it doesn't change anything to just to get stressed. Thankfully, anxiety is usually fleeting for me. When it does surface, I remember providence and that the divine is in control. Yes. Yes, the facts of the situation I am in at present have not changed for 28 years, but since 2011, I have forgotten to feel anxious about it. <laughs> I love it. After finding myself on my own because of tragedy in my teens, I had severe anxiety, PTSD. But by my 20s, I realized through God's grace, I was going to be okay. I felt he was looking out for me every day and I was calmed. The anxiety left as my trust in God got stronger. Awesome. I get anxiety going out to the pub or club and I put it down to bad experiences, fighting and falling on my face, etc. I am not the best drunk. <laughs> I don't drink anymore because I know I am bad on the demon drink. And that in the chat shared more about their journey coming from a out, very alcoholic culture and Probably in that case, the anxiety helped a little bit to like say, I, I don't want this kind of life anymore. And he's come out of right. it. Um, yes. In fact, just yesterday, something happened with my daughter. She found out something about my past that I'm not proud of. And I'm very anxious as to how to ha handle it. I'm afraid she will tell her husband and my oldest son and how to handle it or just act as if nothing has happened. And I appreciate you sharing that. And I, I hope you can notice that the anxiety is about something that might happen. And it, I know it helps me to notice that I'm, I'm stressing about something that might happen, but hasn't happened yet. So to, to try to stay present, it can help. And finally, this one, after I first really began to live for Christ and be purged of some nasty sins, the demons would just assault my mind so hardcore. I knew these thoughts weren't from me. The short clip you posted yesterday is the truth. Scripture, meditation, and declaring God's word, praying and meditating on the rosary and mysteries and divine mercy chaplet. I still get attacked, but now I have stronger defenses. Most of all, God loves me. He purposes all things for me, and I examine providence for my current and past situations in life and know God is victorious. Remember, Jesus didn't fail me on the cross when things get tough. There you go. Yeah, personal is right. And and but that's just the nature of what we're dealing with. Is it's it's really core stuff that gets at the core of what's going on in people's lives. And we wanted to look at yeah, when when uh, I love that the very first one is like, yeah, it hasn't changed facts haven't changed forever, but now I'm not anxious about it anymore. Because there's definitely layers to what creates anxiety. There are events, there are things that are happening, but our own response to it can seem so varied and so wild and chaotic. What are all the factors going into that? You know, that's what we're looking at here. So uh, let's get right into our questions. Thanks, everybody, for sharing. The first question is from Peg B, who asks, how do I fight off these anxiety-making spirits? And if you're just tuning in and you're, what? Well, huh? Anxiety-making spirits, go see our show from earlier this week, our Swedenborg Life episode, Spirits Cause Anxiety, and then see our News from Heaven episode, Spirits Make You Anxious About Things That Don't Matter or guilty about things that don't matter, one of those two, it's, you'll find it. 
and uh, that'll get you up to speed. Now that you're up to speed, uh, what yeah, what what does Peg B do to try to you know get out of the line of fire uh, from this negativity? Yeah, Karen. Um, I think it's important to think of the goal as not like what's the absolute cure so I will never be bothered again. Think of it in terms of like just living in a world where there are germs, which we're in a big situation of that right now, very, very aware of there are germs out there. And you're never going, even with pandemic, you're never going to be completely safe from germs. You're, there's, there's always going to be germs there, but what you can be doing is um, building up, gradually building up your, your health, your immunity, and so you are less vulnerable. So the, the goal is to gradually become less vulnerable, find the strategies that help uh, boost your immunity during an attack. So uh, like physically, I can try to uh, do the things, take the vitamins, um, have, have other healthy um, state of mind and body to try to, when there are germs coming at me, I will be less vulnerable. And so maybe I will get sick, but maybe I'll get less sick or, you know, but it's just about getting less vulnerable. So there are many strategies. The one, the short clip that was posted this week was Curtis talking about building up principles in your mind. Uh, like Swedenborg says, uh, calls it the word, but it can, that can apply to any um, just true principles from, from your religious faith or your life philosophy that you, you can talk back to these spirits when the anxious thoughts come like, Oh, what if, what if, what if you can, you know, what if this happens? What if that happens? You can say to yourself, God is in charge. God is taking care of me. So some kind of principle like that can make you less vulnerable. You'll still feel it. You know, you'll still feel the stress trying to get you, but you can be less vulnerable. It can less be less apt to drown you. And that's what I find over the years that, yeah, the stress, the anxiety will come, but I feel like it doesn't drown me the way it used to. I can just recognize it. I think this awareness, like, okay, it's a, like Curtis was talking about in the show this week. Um, it's think of it like a flood. Think of it like a weather system. Think of it like, a, you know, just bullies attacking. Um, it's just going to be there for a bit and then it's going to be gone. And just what can you do to bundle up during that weather system? Stay aware that it's something passing um, perspective, you know, building perspective. So um, just awareness is huge. And then um, strategies to build your, your mental immunity. So I'll stop there for now. But there's yeah. lots of, lots of awesome points in there. And I love how you were, talking about the, you know, go to the word. Don't cust don't take the time to customize your response to anxiety. If you are some super important public figure and somebody who doesn't have a big uh, following or something was saying, look, give me a bunch of your time to do a, an interview. You just give a press release response. You know, like, this is this is just something you push out the door. Here you go. We've already written it. We're not spending all this time. So it is with anxiety spirits. Instead of well, you're okay. Let me consider. Let me let you into my living room. You just throw throw some spiritual principle. Repeat a spiritual principle at them. Doesn't drain you of energy. I love it, uh, Chelsea. What do you think? Yeah. Um. In thinking about what things in Swedenborg that he writes that kind of relate to this, um, it was bringing to mind how 
Swedenborg talked about how important just a practice of reflection is. Um, like that's sort of the baseline is being able to reflect on our own thoughts and on our own experience. And that when we do that, that actually opens up a pathway for us to have distance between who we are and these thoughts that are in our environment, you know? Um, and, uh, and so when you, so two sort of takeaways from that with, um, it can be useful to develop a practice of reflection. And I think this is partly why meditation is so beneficial for people or, or people who do like a devotional reading the word and reflecting on their life in that way. But um, any kind of regular practice of reflection, if you do it intentionally at a certain time, you know, regularly in your life, then you're kind of creating insurance for yourself. Like if you get sort of in the habit of in the morning, I'm going to sit and reflect on my thoughts, just what's going on in my inner landscape or what, what am I experiencing in my body? Then when you have that practice, then during the day, when you're just in the rush of life, you're training your mind to be able to pause and recognize when you're in a flood of anxious thoughts. And, um, and so then that, that reflection, you can employ it in that moment to be able to really distinguish, this is just a thought. And that's like, and then you can use reflection on the thought itself. And for the most, like, if it's a thought from hell, then it's lying to you. So you can, uh, there's some um, lie that's at the origin of the thought. And so whatever the thought is, you can, you can then hold that up against your sense of what's true, you know, like that God is all loving and that divine providence is real. And so if the thought doesn't line up with that truth, then it's like, this is not a thought I'm going to, you know, hold on to any longer. Um, it's just not true. And so being able to just not believe your thoughts when you realize that they're lying, like Karen was saying, you still, the thoughts will still be there, but you can, you don't have to give them your time anymore. And, and, um, and that's sort of what can be useful to distinguish between thoughts and feelings, because it might be that your body is just experiencing a feeling. And so it might, you might be having these thoughts that are associated with the feeling, but you can just not believe the thoughts and just be present to your, to whatever you're experiencing in that moment. Um, and that that's, that, that the reality of the present moment is what is true and your thoughts are not true. So, um, so that, and that's another angle from Swedenborg. It's just that the present moment, what does he say? The future is anxiety and the past is, uh, regret or something and the present is peace um and or even if not peace all the time it can be kind of turbulent but it's it you're you're safe um i'll yeah. stop there yeah well it's better whatever it is is usually better than thinking about the past and the future and and i just was scanning over swedenborg talking about the state of peace that angels have and that it's dependent on them not dwelling on the future or the past it, Actually, angels have to. You think an angel knows what's coming down the road, right? They they can have like foresight, but angels' happiness is dependent on them not knowing what com what's coming down the road. So I also loved how you tied it in with meditation. I think about it's a pretty common meditation practice to say, "Oh, treat your thoughts like passing clouds. That that's just a thought, and now it's passing with the cloud." But that doesn't quite answer though. If it's a really uh destructive corrosive thought that seems aimed right at you okay it's nice to let it pass but like how did that get there so to have swedenborg say 
these are just spirits, right? This is just the negativity of, of the human race coming at you because they're trying to exploit you like all negativity. Then that's a motive. And it really lets me like, okay, this cloud, this spirit can, can pass. Kara, I'd love to hear uh, your thoughts. Yeah, mine were sort of along the lines of Chelsea's a, a, um, a word or a phrase that helps me think about it is that to not identify with those thoughts, to just, um, yeah, that, that that's not me, that's something outside of me. So working on the separation, which is what she was saying in different words. Um, <clears throat> And it may be that what you're anxious about is is actually, you know, something of concern, some danger or threat in your life. But there's still a difference between the facts of the circumstance and then the stirring up of the upset about it. So um, just trying to separate from the upset about it, even if the facts are, you know, there and concerning. And another thing about being in the present is to um, do something, do something, something useful. I just broke myself unknowingly. I broke myself of a long stretch of just super whew, stuck depression by working really hard to move a couple of people. And it really just flipped a switch and uh, it, it changed something for me. So doing something useful of any degree is a great way to be present enough that the evil dudes can't get in there with their worries. So. That's right. The, the invulnerable state of uh, caring for somebody else. That's great. Thanks so much, everybody, for your input there. Peg B, hope that is some useful material for you. Hey, we're a quarter away through the show, but we aren't yet a quarter of the way to our $100 goal. If you want us to keep going, that's what it's like. That's what a 15 minutes with us is like. You want to do it again? Donate. And really, it's not for that. It's for making this programming possible. Go to otle.causebox.com or they're watching live or they're watching afterwards. Thanks to everyone who has supported. Okay, let's do question number two. This is from Mrs. Don, who asks, did Swedenborg believe all people go to heaven except those who find hell heaven, causing there to actually be no hell of suffering? Fascinating. So is everybody just equally blissed out? What is it? Is it equifinality? What what happens with, with heaven and hell? Let's let's go reverse. I'll start with the car this time. <laughs> Swedenborg says that uh, we were all created for heaven. But the Lord built into that system this, um, this thing about our spiritual freedom so that we, in order to be genuine, we have to be able to choose it ourselves. So that's why we're allowed to choose not heaven. I think Swedenborg does describe hell as having some uncomfortable times and places, but it is preferable to the people there than the sphere of mutual love and love to God and taking care of everybody and loving everybody. So I, I don't think he describes a suffer-free place, but it's definitely a place um, that's a choice. Like, oh yeah, oh no, this is home. That is not home. Kind of an idea. <laughs> right, right. No, it's a good, it's a good distinction. Um, and, and yeah, that's sort of, it's not 
torture, like the traditional Christian conception, but it's not just, oh, it's all, everyone's the same amount of happy. There, there's inherently some issues with loving the kind of stuff that, that puts you in hell. Karen, uh, do you want to weigh in? Yeah, yeah, I agree with that, that um, you go to where you would feel the happiest, and that is true. So in that sense, hell for people who choose that is, uh, feels better than heaven because the atmosphere of heaven actually hurts. Like, like uh, Swedenborg describes, like the light of heaven and the heat of heaven really like causes anguish to people who are not uh, open to that kind of mindset. And you can maybe imagine like somebody who is just immersed in loving to cheat people and just that's such a thrill and so so enjoyable and to face the truth that that hurts that that's <laughs> not okay is like no don't ah, ah don't you know don't tell me that i don't want i don't want that that makes me upset and so that can maybe just give a little glimpse of like what what is this dynamic about like it's more enjoyable to just stay in the illusion like yeah this is this is this is good <laughs> because because i enjoy this and not want to face that, um, you know, the, the truth that heaven uh, offers. And so hell is, um, for people who choose that, who cho choose hellish pl pleasure over heavenly pleasure, it is uh, less, less torturous to be in hell than it would be to try to get near heaven. Um, but Kara's right, it's not, it's not just all bliss <laughs> in hell because the thing is, the whole law of the spiritual world is what you put out comes back to you. And so um, they're in hell when they want to act out on a love of cheating people or assaulting people or something that that comes back at them. Like they, what what they put out. So you could imagine like a criminal gang and they're sort of working together. But then one lashes out at the other and there's you know, there's all chaos. Um, there's just an underlying hatred of others there that's simmering and that will burst out at times. And so that causes the anguish in hell of, of that, that hatred bursting out. And there was one last thing I was going to say about that. Um, but I'm, but I'm going blank. Um, so I'll, I'll wave if I, <laughs> if I remember what it was. Oh yeah. Limitedness. The last thing is the happiness of heaven is unlimited. When you enjoy goodness, there is no limit to life. What you can do, you are free to, to do good in unlimited ways, ever expanding ways. The hell is a limited life because when you do what you like, someone does it back to you and, <laughs> and you stop because that hurts. In heaven, you do what you like to others and it never ends. It comes back to you and it feels great. And you know, it's, it's expansive, unlimited happiness. Whereas hell is as happy as someone can be there, but it's very limited because it, because it gets <laughs> slammed back at, and it's, you can't really do what you want to do without those consequences. Yeah. Um, I, I know we have our show, uh, what is hell really like? And that would be a good one to watch and, and in there, we explore how um, how hell isn't just a chaotic uh, place uh, like what Karen is suggesting, but that it does have order to it, and like there are limitations, like she said, even in even in um, when people do act out, and like obviously being being taken away from what they love 
is part of the suffering um, because, but what they love to do is hurting other people and there's a limit to what they're even allowed to do in that way. Uh, so they do get withheld um, to a certain point from uh, like, like even within the limits of trying to act out what they love, they do, it carries, the evil carries its own punishment. Um, and, and so there's even uh, Swedenborg describes people being put to useful work in hell um, as sort of part of the retributive process of them acting out in certain ways. And that then, um, but they, even though that is actually good for them, they are suffering when they're being put to be useful in the community, even in, even in hell. Um, and so, so it's an interesting uh, dynamic, but there's, there's a, there is this framework and this order to how it, how it works. So it, there's not the, um, uh, it's not that there's no suffering, but there's also not just nothing but suffering and just a chaotic mess, you know, there's a structure to it. And, um, and something interesting about that too, is that like, uh, there's suffering in the world of spirits too, you could say. And even, and, uh, because, and that's something we explore in the spirits causing anxiety show is that, um, anxiety and other forms of suffering are actually this very kind of delicate and controlled way that the Lord allows us to gain insight through our freedom about what we really want to do with our lives. And, and so there's like specialized processes that people that Swedenborg describes people going through in the world of spirits where they get sort of put into a state of suffering so they can gain um, discernment about the choices that they've made in their life and, 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 and get clear on what they really love so interesting yeah so many good resources in there um and uh i think it's worth noting that there's this human desire for revenge justice you'd think that the point of the people that are choosing to love all these terrible things there'd, there'd be this will on god's part to like make sure they're not happy but actually hell is a continual effort to make those people as happy as they can be within the limits of what they love. But when you love really, really heinous stuff, there's just uh, an existential impossibility to be fully satisfied with that. So hell is sort of the mitigation of that and allowing the happiest you can be, which, well, it's, yeah, it's a good distinction you're making, Chelsea. There, there's suffering, but suffering is not the point of hell. It's not the only thing that happens in hell. There's way more of it than is necessary if you just love goodness and truth. Um, but there, there is some there. And the happiness that you get, Swedenborg over and over describes the happiness of evil and falsity. It's like, it can feel like, wow, this is great when you're in it and it's all you know. But as soon as you start to tap into the, the happiness of actual love and wisdom and makes heaven, it's, there's no comparison. He says that the pleasures of evil and falsity are like a coarse stinging dust compared with the freshest breath of pure air something like that so you're missing out you can have some thrills but you're missing out on this amazing depth of of life hey guys let's let's celebrate because we went from going we were way behind it was halfway through the show we had made none of our thermometer we were way behind now we're exactly on target robin made a donation thank you robin you believe in what we're doing and you you are making it possible for everyone to watch the show. So thank you so much. And now uh, we'll see how it unfolds, but we're right. We're right on track. 
will the streak continue? We've hit the goal every time so far. OTLE.Cosvox.com, whether you're watching now or whether you're watching later. Thanks so much, Robin, for the support. All right, next question. This is from Nana Rosebud, who asks, does taking medicine have a negative effect on anxiety-making spirits? And does alcoholic spirits have an effect on them too? So how much is what we're putting in physically affecting what's going on spiritually, and particularly with, with controlled substances of various kinds? Uh, does anyone want to lead off uh, on this one? Chelsea? Sure. Um, just to some initial thoughts anyway, is that like what we put into our body does have a big impact on our conscious state. Um, and, uh, and so Swedenborg describes how our mind is this interesting spiritual technology that can exist in the world and in the spiritual world at the same time and interfaces between those two. And, and so, and it's functioning through our brains and in throughout our whole body. And so, um, the Swedenborg talks about how important it is to take care of our bodies so that they can be the best vessel they can be for our spirits. Um, and of course, in some cases we're limited in our ability to do that. And, um, and so, uh, on the one hand it's, you know, taking medicines can totally help with, a with an imbalance of some kind that, um, you know, to help with anxiety disorders and things like that, that where, where your physiology needs some physical support, or like chemical to support to create a balance where you can feel like your whole self and feel like you're capable of making decisions and not feel, you know, flooded and overwhelmed and just unable to function. Um, and, uh, but kind of on a more subtle way, it's just fascinating to think about how certain foods you eat can affect your state and different, uh, uh, different substances have, have different sorts of impact. And that, that kind of ties it back to the reflection thing where it's, I don't know, I can't, I don't know if I can say that it's necessarily the same across the board for everybody, but I just know in my experience when I've smoked certain things or drank certain things or um, eaten in certain ways, it, it's fascinating to notice the impact that it has on my conscious state and, and it's really like, is this me or is this actually clouding my ability to be my full whole self, you know, who I would be most, you know, rooted in God. And so, uh, and then based on that feedback, you know, be able to make choices that, that help me feel the best that I can. That's great, great, uh, succinct way to put it. And certainly something we can try to emulate. I love the idea of getting rooted in God and that it just sounds like strong and vibrant. So yeah, Karen, what do you think? Yeah, I like what Chelsea was saying about how the, the goal is to try to, how can you help your body be um, uh, the, the best possible vehicle to let your mind, you know, your healthier mind come through. And I'm thinking of things that Jerry Marzinski has said on our program about how there he was working with schizophrenics and there, there were times where medications that would just um, tone down the symptoms enough so that the person had a chance to, to rationally reflect on things and then, and then do the inner work because, um, you know, I've, it's, it always has to be a combination like a physical treatment can never 
do the whole thing to change our minds. We have to also be doing our inner work, our spiritual growth work. Um, but sometimes there's something physical going on that is just making it so we can't even think. And so there are times where a medication could calm down symptoms enough so that you have a chance to rationally engage in your spiritual growth uh, work. So like Chelsea was saying, um, it's something that's very different for everybody and it, it should be a very personal choice to reflect on. Is, is this something that's helping, helping me think better and be able to do my inner work better or not, or is it inhibiting it? Um, this Anana asked about alcoholic spirits. Um, definitely also Jerry uh, learned through his work with schizophrenics. And I think Swedenborg confirms this, that spirits um, inflame our desires towards things that will do us harm and mess us up. And so definitely we have to reflect on cravings that come for substances that are going to impair us and, and damage our bodies and damage our relationships and minds. And I know in our one show, uh, uh, do spirits play a role in addiction? Um, we were discussing that and, and Jerry was describing uh, patients that have had told him they had seen like alcoholic <laughs> spirits, meaning spirits that would want to like inspire that craving for alcohol that would keep a person uh, spiraling downward. And so, yeah, there are spirits at play in everything to do with our lives. And if we reflect on the effects that it's having on our body and relationships and minds, whatever this, the uh, medicine or substance is, and then, um, uh, you know, to pay attention to what is helpful towards a positive direction and what's harmful towards a, a negative direction. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I think that you never know. I mean, recently I've had to get really start paying a ton of uh, attention to nutrition as I'm trying to give my body what it needs as I'm kind of getting over some health stuff. And something that I've learned is you never know what's good for you. There's it, You can't hold something out and say, this is good for everyone because it depends what the state of your body is. Something that, that is on the list of the healthiest foods, if you're in a particular condition, is not good for you. So what I would take away from that is, uh, yeah, there's general principles, but also don't stress about it. For example, when it says, does taking medicine have a negative effect? There could be medicines that are very good for you at this time. And worrying about, is this going to get the spirits more access? I think in general, uh, don't worry about it. But... <laughs> But also, um, I was just thinking about the butter spirits. Swedenborg talks about spirits who are inspiring him to want butter. So we don't quite have him commenting directly on alcohol, but uh, if they can make you want butter, there's there's that kind of influence. Uh, so, Chelsea, did you want to say something about the the butter spirits? Oh, oh, just that I don't I. If I'm remembering correct, correctly, it wasn't just spirits. It was like the heavenly angels were wanting him to eat the butter. Well, makes sense, right? <laughs> yeah, um, that's a very good correspondence. Hey, and you know what? So butter, right? Heavenly angels want you to eat butter. Good correspondence. For me, as I'm trying to fix my acid reflux, I can't eat uh, a bunch of fats and probably not a bunch of dairy if there's that. So it depends. Doesn't matter what the angels want. Depends on what's right for you. Hey, guess what? Thank you to DJ. DJ made a contribution 
We were we're up above halfway. Really appreciate that, DJ. And while we're at it, thank you to Sean, who made a contribution as well. So now thank we you. are really getting close. We are only $30 away from an extra 15 minutes of party time. Let's see if we get there. Go to otle.cosvox.com. You could be the one that pushes us up over the top. If you haven't donated before, remember, you get put into the raffle. And the raffle, if you win, will totally change your life by giving you a nice piece of OTLE swag. All right, this is from Sharon Batten, who asks, why don't the good spirits protect us from evil spirits causing the anxiety? Why are we sitting here having to do a whole show to figure out how to mitigate this stuff and protect ourselves? when we can't even, we don't even know how spirits operate. We're, we're guessing and, and reading old books. How about the other people who are already spirits step in there, the, the spiritual firefighters or police or something? What What's going on with that? Um, yeah, so does anyone want to talk about that? Yeah, just just to say that there are angels and good spirits at work behind the scenes all the time um, protecting us and and that actually it's just such a carefully controlled uh, system that that the Lord is just letting sort of the, the bare minimum or what can be uh, allowed to happen and have us be, um, you know, uh, experience in our minds that that can serve our ultimate spiritual welfare. Um, and and that can be tough to swallow because we we go through experiences in our life that really do overwhelm us and uh, and can feel like we get totally run down and and lose you know lose all sense of control or there's people who get to the point where they lose their own lives um, through mental anguish and stuff and um, and yet the uh, e- providence is even at work in those situations and that there are good spirits and angels who are protecting the innermost parts of us, especially the parts that can't be touched by any of the outer turmoil that's happening on the lower levels of your mind, which is where hell has to live. You know, it can't, it's, uh, you know, there's always an inner part of us that is protected. And, and if we are choosing that part, then that's the truest part of ourselves. Um, no matter what goes on on the outer, you know, further out parts. Um, and and so the anxiety or or other times of crisis and spiritual struggle uh, are times for us that we can end up literally like absorbing into ourselves and having the Lord's goodness and truth really become part of who we are. And that's how we actually draw it into our identity is when we go through an intense experience and and are brought through it. That's what Swedenborg calls like times of crisis or temptation, um, that, uh, that's the mechanism for us to be able to, um, put our trust in the Lord, like let go of our own self-will and choose the Lord's will. And then that is how we slowly get turned into, into an angel, into a real human being that, uh, is what Swedenborg calls it. And that, um, that, that inner transformation just amazingly requires these times of struggle. And, and we, um, talk about that in our show regeneration and how radical love is born. And we make the analogy with pregnancy and birth and that labor, you know, has these intense contractions um, that, that can feel very anxiety producing and distressing um, and even getting to the points of despair, but that, that uh, 
that actually brings us to a point of surrender where we can actually be given life from the Lord when before we maybe didn't want to admit to it, but we were pushing the Lord out because we wanted to have it all ourselves and we're okay. Thanks. You know? So anyway, we, we end up uh, net positive. You can actually end up better after these struggles. So I mean, one answer to why are these evil spirits allowed to harass us? Sometimes it's because it's done in a careful enough dosage that it does improve us spiritually through a complex uh, process. And I like how you were pointing out in the very beginning, there, there are good spirits and angels doing a lot of protecting. Think about it like the immune system. You say, why, why is I got a cold? Why didn't my immune system stop it? There's a lot of stuff it stopped that you never noticed uh, from, from coming in. Hey, I just want to say, um, Randy donated. Thank you so much, Randy. And back, back, this is happening fast and furious. Because um, I was going to say like, oh, we're at 95. We're almost there. But then suddenly we got three new donations from Jonathan, from Rochelle, and from Linda. Wow. Thank all of you so much. And now we're at 230. We're way, way above where we needed to go. So in light of that, we are going to do another 15 minutes. I feel like I should ring a bell or something. Uh, and that's the least we can do. Thank you so much for, I know that resources are tough to come by. So thank you so much for putting them into what we're doing. We won't let you down. It's going to be a good 15 minutes. In the meantime, let's continue our, our conversation about this. Karen. Yeah, you brought up the, uh, yeah, but what Chelsea is saying is uh, us not realizing the good that is being done during times of struggle. And also that our, it's only our outermost self that is going through that. We have all these layers of inner self that are actually above that and are doing great <laughs> um, through this all. But Curtis, you brought up the immune system and I was gonna point out that analogy too, that we we can, you know, our immune system is working constantly. And if we get sick and feel bad, we can say, why wasn't our immune system working? Well, it was, it was working all the time, just like spirits and angels are working, good spirits and angels are working all the time to protect us and help us and guide us and take care of us. Um, hey, can I just say something? When we do get sick, it's not like the immune system is then gone. I mean, often what we feel from the sickness is the immune system fighting the infection. And the reason we get better is because the immune system's working. So there, the immune system's around, even if it couldn't stop us from, from any distress. Yes, exactly. And we can learn, like, we can learn how to support our immune system and not... Um, inhibit it. Like I, I think throughout life, you might be saying, you know, you might be like, like, I am always getting this physical problem over and over and what the heck. And, and then at some point you might start to realize that, oh, wait, I have an allergy to this food or I, you know, or I need to stop smoking or I need, you know, whatever it is, like you can learn something that you didn't even realize all of us, like this world is so messed up and there's so many toxins and in the foods and everything that we can not even realize we were engaging in activity that was actually making it harder for our immune system. And so I think during life we can, and then, then you can learn how to stop that, um, that activity that was overburdening the immune system and support it in a different way. And then you might get less suffering over time, you know, and I do feel like it's the same way with anxiety. Like I can, 
just think of earlier in life where I would just get way longer, like bouts of being so upset and so stressed out. And now I can look back and realize I was jumping in to a way of thinking and like feeding and fueling that, that was making it way harder for the angels to get through or the, or the good spirits to get through. And through the years I've learned better ways to just get a little more objective. Like we were talking about in our first question tonight, um, that that makes it so I'm not diving in the same way. I'm not sort of eating that <laughs> bad food or whatever analogy you want to use. So I don't get so buried by it so that I pop back faster, just like maybe you get a cold, but you get over it faster than you used to or something. So I think there are things we can learn along the way that we like, oh, wow, I was just diving right in with these negative spirits <laughs> and giving them more fuel to keep me more stressed while the angels and good spirits are saying, wait, remember this, do this, do and, and you're not even hearing them. So you can, if you learn gradually to tune in a little better, and it takes time and it takes, uh, you know, throughout our lives and going through various things, but you can start to tune in so that you don't get so buried by stress, I think. Yeah, I love it. In incremental steps uh, to move us forward. All right, let's, uh, let's do another one. This is fun. Let's keep it going. This is from Sean Smith, who asks, can some people be seen as disease causing agents in the grand human? So the human form, we were throwing out this immune system analogy, but it's not just an analogy because correspondences uh, inform us that the human form with all its components like immune system is reflected in the way all of heaven works. So is there, are some people acting like uh, these bacteria, viruses, fungi that, that assault the human body. What do you think? Yeah, Karen. Well, I want to encourage everybody always, it's always a good idea to not look out there and point to people and say, oh, there's a, <laughs> there's a carrier. Everyone in the chat, write in somebody that you know is like a virus. <laughs> so we have to watch out for judging, like spiritual judgments is what I'm saying. But I think we all can, and yeah, other people, ourselves, we can sometimes be carriers of spiritual disease, which are things like hatred and vengefulness and lying and betrayal. And, you know, we, these, these are spiritual disease and we can become carriers of that if we let that flow in and act on it. And so we do have to just for ourselves become responsible just like in this pandemic we're trying to find the ways to be responsible to not spread a, a physical disease we have to uh, try to think of how to not spread spiritual disease to each other through us because it it's going to flow into all of us in one way or another and uh, people in the afterlife who had have committed to something like hatred or vengefulness or what have you um they are flowing in as as a disease in in uh, in a sense, and so it is. Uh, they are carrying a, a spiritual disease into into us. So I don't know if I'm answering the question, but <laughs> I would say that think of spiritual disease as evil, as harm, as that's that's spiritual disease. It attacks what is meant to be. It attacks the order of things, the grand human, the design 
the divine design and it is trying to take it down. And so we do need to try to become healthier and healthier through our own spiritual growth and try to not carry that and not, um, you know, support it in ourselves or others, but try to heal it. Yeah, I was, uh, that's what I was thinking. It was bringing to my mind was, um, you know, Swedenborg describes how all of heaven can be seen as a human being and that that grand human is the Lord um, and, and the Lord is goodness and truth. And so we all just participate in that. And, and so the things that go against that goodness and truth are evil and falsity, like Karen was saying. So it's, uh, it, it ends up uh, not being about specific people, but it's where, yeah, what, what are we accepting into ourselves or, or turning away from, um, and, and that it's ultimately between, you know, it's God that's life itself and every, everything good and everything true. And then the opposite of that, that is just the absence of love and the absence of truth that, uh, that's a rejection of what's good and what's true. And so, um, anything of that nature is outside of the grand human and could be considered a disease causing agent, um, uh, or, and, and so, yeah, like Karen was saying, it's like what we, we can channel and bring into ourselves those different, those different parts. Yeah. Really, um, you know, the cool to think about, or we can, we can look at ourselves to, to learn about how this, huge dynamic works. Cara, did you want to add anything to close this off here? Uh, no, I'm just pondering it. I mean, I've always thought of the grand human as um, the heavenly form that's sort of inviolable. But um, then I also think of how everything has the opposite. So is there some counterpart of the um, universal human that's in the hell and all the people are playing the part in that sort of bad guy image too. It's just making me think of a lot of things, but I don't have anything to add. <laughs> oh, it's, it's great. It's great. And I'll, I'll finish it up and then let's, let's go to our next one. I just want to say that if you're looking at, to, to me, like the cleanest correspondential analogy, as I understand it would be uh, with cancer cells. Isn't it true that cancer is just cells that are growing unregulated and they're just feeding that they're not fitting into the body. So love of self is all we care about. You, all you care about is yourself. You don't care about what you're doing to the organism, right? You're just trying to grow. Uh, that seems to me like a pretty spot on reference to the damage that just caring about the self does when you're part of a, an organism. So thanks so much, Sean, for the question. Uh, let's take a look at the next one. This is from Preliminimal who asks, I have been stagnantly neurotic since my earliest memories. Is there anything I can do? My entire past is ruined. So thank you for being willing to share that. I mean, that's obviously some pain there um, and it is personal. And uh, you know, all of us here are wishing you didn't have to, to go through that. So- And, and I wanna say just preliminal, uh, I don't know you by person. I couldn't tell your face out of a crowd, but I recognize your name and and you've been around on our channel and engaging with our content for years. And so I feel like I can attest that, uh, 
you and your mind isn't ruined. And I feel so much compassion for the struggle that that you go through and that you are going through and that you, you know, the, the baggage you have from your past, whatever that is. Um, but uh, we love you. <laughs> yeah, we sure do. And you just go, go back through our, our, the history of the Off the Left Eye channel and you're all over it. <laughs> so we're glad that, that you're a part of it. Uh, and of course, that's just one little slice of all the good things that, that you've done in your life. So, uh, Karin or, uh, Karin, Karin, do you want to weigh in? Um, yeah, that I sympathize with the feeling that your entire past is ruined, but <clears throat> the um, Swedenborg assures us that uh, our individual paths are always leading us to our best possible happiest fulfillment in the end. So it does seem terrible the kind of struggles that people have to live through and I don't know what preliminals uh, life is about. But um, you still have a future and uh, there's that beautiful verse in Jeremiah that says I give you a future and a hope and uh, it's aiming towards good in one way or another. Yeah, uh, it was a great verse. I know the plans uh, that I've made for you. And I think about the how much God specializes in making sure things aren't ruined, even when they seem ruined. I'm thinking of the concept of the remnant, that it's anticipated that in life we are going to have all kinds of turmoil and junk that's going to make a lot of life feel this chaos but that throughout your life god is is anticipating that and storing away these good things yeah. inside you in this in in uh, accessible invaluable uh black box right that is going to be there no matter what and that that is actually that's part of the orderly progression and then when it's time god opens that up and pulls those things back out and so i just think that that yeah, nothing's ruined. Carried toward happier things, no matter the appearance of the means, is how one translation quotes it. So you can't be dug into a hole so deep that God actually wasn't saying, "Look, there's freedom right through the bottom here." You, you didn't realize, but but we're getting out that one. Karen, do you want to weigh in? Yeah, I, I agree that. Yeah, don't accept that as truth that uh, your entire past is ruined. I would say that's a false message from hell, and. Uh, ref believe that, yeah, there, there was a lot of goodness that the Lord was storing up in your life. And, and no matter what happened externally in your life or in your external mind, and, and I, I get that we can inherit or, or get from past trauma uh, patterns in the mind that are problematic. And um, maybe that's not something everyone can overcome in this life, but that is not who you are, that's an, an external thing. And um, the present, don't, if you do feel like the past was, was, uh, you know, problematic, um, know that right now, every moment is a new beginning. Right now, what whatever was good in your past that you didn't realize is there with you, and the Lord's using that. But right now, you are going forward, there's the present, and there's the future. So um, don't dwell on the past. I feel like from what I've heard of the um, 
method of cognitive therapy. It's a, a really good way to um, really look at your assumptions and, and learn to question them and reframe them. And so there may be some things that you that happened in the past that maybe uh, you have beliefs about that 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 could be seen a different way. Um, that you know maybe things that you made assumptions about yourself because of things that happened, but those assumptions are not true. They're they're just something that got in your head at some point. And um, so I would say. Uh, believe that you can reprogram your mind, maybe see our show, how uh, the lies evil spirits tell us in this, it's a lie program that one of our guests talked about. You can have when that thought comes in, my past is ruined. You, um, you could say, well, that's a lie. Let me think about that a different way. And that's not easy, but it can be done. Our guest Sherry talked about it being like a com reprogramming a computer. You can, um, decide to not believe that. And after a while, it's not an effort anymore. If, if you stick at um, just deciding, I'm not going to believe that that thought anymore or that assumption. So it, it takes some effort and some consistency. And I'd say, you know, pray to the Lord for strength to, to establish those new patterns. But right now in the present, you are wonderful and fine and the Lord loves you and just move forward and Try to get more aware of when those lies come in. Maybe uh, you don't need to believe them and you could believe something different, a, a better view of yourself. Yeah. And something that that makes me think of is just the idea that uh, I think Swedenborg does talk about like our memories being able to be transformed. You know, the way we remember our lives can actually change. Um, and so it really is this process of rewriting our own story and, um, and that uh, how we hold the things can, like what's happened in our lives, we can rewrite that story. The Lord gives us that freedom. And that's that possibility of change is like completely hold your story in a new way. Um, and, and I feel like that it makes me think of the Bible because not only, you know, you can dip into any of the books of the prophets and you're going to get very familiar with a group of people who were suffering horribly you know, and that suffering reflects what we go through in our lives. And yet the Lord and our, and what we can do with the Lord is rewrite those stories so that they are leading to this magnificent, you know, ending. And that, that, you know, the city being demolished and the destruction and all of that suffering is leading toward a renewal that is, you know, it's like the metamorphosis of a butterfly. It's just something completely different than what came before. Um, and, and one other angle on that that uh, I, I thought of with what Karin was saying was that it, it, I just, your words of saying, I've been stagnantly neurotic since my earliest memories. And there's like, that can be the truth. And then it's actually like a, a Buddhist idea, but then you, then you shoot the second arrow and that's, and that you're wrong and bad that that's been true in your life. You know, that that's a lot of the time where the suffering comes in is we might be able to acknowledge this is just the cards on the table, you know, the hand I was dealt in life, but then we make ourselves bad and wrong and shamed. We take responsibility for it. Like we, it's all our fault. Um, and that that second arrow is, is hell and it's optional. You know, like the Lord wants to free us from that so that we can know, um, okay, this was my, this was my life, but how can I love myself in this, you know, and connect to God's love for me, no matter what, 
my behaviors were, you know, like love, the Lord loves us more than we can love ourselves and certainly more than we were ever capable of loving ourselves in our past. Yeah. I want, can I just give a quick example in an interview I heard of someone going through cognitive therapy? It was a, a woman who she had been raped when she was 13, when she was walking to the train station and she telling the story to her therapist is I was raped because I was walking by myself to the train, which I wasn't supposed to do. And the therapist led her to say, now wait, because that's why you were raped. Is that true? And let, because that had been plaguing that woman, you know, adding to, to the trauma of being raped, she made herself guilty. And so her counselor was able to lead her to a whole different way of framing that story. I was raped because some <laughs> guy decided to do it. I don't know why, but it wasn't my fault. So it was just a very transforming thing, rewriting the story that she had made in her head about what had happened. So there you go. Hope you're feeling the love prelim minimal. It's, it's real. And, uh, and thank you for being willing to share that because I think it's a lot of people going through stuff and that, that opens up the discussion uh, for all of us. I want to say thank you. This is Bojan who donated. So now we're up to 255 today. So thank you so much, everyone. That is, I can't do the math, but it's something like $510 towards off the left eye with our two to one match. So let's keep going. We're now into our bonus round. This is the round you all bought with your, with your support. This is Biomed EE who asks, since it was difficult in Swedenborg's day to study some subjects, what or where were Swedenborg's sources for study in anatomy and physiology? Swedenborg, all, you know, we're talking about how the immune system and the uh, human body is linked to spirituality. Well, one of the reasons why Swedenborg could get so deep into that is because he had extensively studied the human body. But how did he do it? Does anybody know? Cara, do you have any idea what, where that all came from? I really am not good in this category of knowing Swedenborg's actual uh, history. I wish Jonathan was here for this part. Right. Somebody else? I don't know. Yeah, I was going to say Jonathan would know the answer to this, but I just vaguely know that Swedenborg was very interested in anatomy and whatever was possible in his day as far as you know, you'd have the cadavers and you'd open them and you'd look at what's in the body and study, study, study. He did everything possible. So he was right in there in what was the most cutting edge possibilities in his time of, of opening up and, and studying the human body. And he was uh, super interested in that. And I think from that study, that was that was huge in his preparation for being able to understand a lot about spiritual structure of based on the human body. So, um, yeah, I don't know exactly what avenues, but I just know whatever there was going on there of places where people were, were actually studying the body. He was, he was there. <laughs> he did, he did start attending the university of Uppsala, I believe at a very young age. So if you go, uh, so who is it? Biomed EE. If you go Google, you know, the curriculum at the University of Uppsala in uh, 1700 or something, you might find out what, what he was, um, what he had access to. Yeah. And I think, I think that he did go to college very young. I do know that was more normal that like what we called 
it was sort of the equivalent of our high school, what they called university. And he like got mm -hmm. a degree and I think was like done with that by the time he was 18 or maybe less or something. But um, he did. And then it was like people would go and apprentice um, other uh, people who were in the in the field. And and it was that century, the 18th century, when people were doing cadaver dissections, like think like the medical field and the understanding of anatomy and physiology was totally expanding in that in that time. And uh, so he did travel around Europe, like so he lived in Sweden, but he went all over Europe to go study with the foremost people in their fields um, and learn alongside people. So I think that is what he did for anatomy and physiology. And he was very well connected, um, connected with the nobility in Sweden. And, and so he, he actually was able to get to those people, you know, get their, get their number, so to speak, and be able to go and like live for a few months in France and live in, you know, Amsterdam and other places um, to uh, be able to study those things. But we're working on a show right now on the brain um, that I'm very excited about, but and Swedenborg's insights to the brain, because he was actually totally advanced um, in, in, in his theories about brain physiology. Um, and, and I've been wondering, like, how, like, I know he had access to anatomy, but there's certain insights he has about the actual, like, functioning of it that, that is just seems unparalleled. And, and I just wonder how much just his own reflection and sensation observation of his own experience actually informed his theories that he made about um anatomy and physiology and stuff because this was also before just before people really figured out that nerves ran on you know electricity um you know there were electrical impulses and and yet he had this sense of there's a communication system you know reverberation or whatever happening between the brain and the periphery and stuff like that so really really interesting and yeah lots of question marks though. So hopefully maybe somebody will chime in on the comments who knows, knows more than us about this or something. <laughs> well, we start off our bonus section saying, well, I mean, we know, I don't know, no. but well, I think there was some good material in there. Hey, I'm really excited to get to this next question because I think it's a critical one. If we don't have a good answer to this, what are we even doing here? Ryan Lafferty asks, why did God only reveal this stuff to some random guy in Sweden? Oh, I love this random guy in Sweden. <laughs> yeah, he rocks. But but what's up? Is you know why why through this method? And did it was Swedenborg the only one to 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 whom this stuff was revealed? Yeah, Chelsea, start us off. Well, just I have a recent anecdote that I was reading about in Swedenborg's own works because he describes his process of being let into a certain society in heaven as somebody who could be conscious of the of heaven and what's going on in the world at the same time. And he was having a conversation with the angels who lived in this society. And they were saying, you're the first person this has happened to, you know, like, this is amazing, this mirac miraculous thing. And then, and then he, Swedenborg even notes in this passage saying, and then there were set, then there were others who said, Oh no, this has happened to lots of other people. <laughs> like we're very kind of dismissive, like, Oh, it happens all the time. Um, and, uh, so even I love that even in Swedenborg's own accounts, he he's enough of a scientist that he's like, people disagreed about whether this was I was unique for this ability. And so he continues to have those kinds of um, admissions when he's saying I was given this revelation and there's people being given the same revelation in Africa and other places. <laughs> um, 
So anyway. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's great. I love that, that anecdote of the, uh, the one society that's impressed with him and the other society. Hmm. Not, not so much. So yeah, Karen, do you want to go next? Yeah, it's an interesting two sides of it that like Chelsea was saying, he is really not the only one that this kind of information has been um, revealed to in our show, The World of Spirits. I was remembering um, quoting a book from a, a man named Sadhu Sundar Singh, who I think was from India, that ha had remarkably similar um, revelations through visions about like the world of spirits between heaven and hell and j just different things that were very similar. And like Chelsea mentioned, Swedenborg describes uh, a revelation going on in some country in Africa at the sa same time. Um, and of course, now we have uh, like tons of NDEs happening and people are getting information. Um, but like all of us, Swedenborg was called to this specific, you know, to write this specific set of writings in this specific way as part of of the, you know, the big picture of God trying to give us uh, spiritual information. And Swedenborg did say that he had, he didn't know it at the time, but he was being prepared his whole life for this role. And it is for that reason that he was so interested in science and, and had the ability and the interest to the, the, both the financial and the mental ability to study every science of his day and get really steeped in that so he would be able to receive this spiritual information that would fill it in. And I think it's also in Providence that he was able to, you know, for part of that part of his life to not have to earn a living. He was he was financially set so that he could <laughs> spend his money on these books that weren't selling yet. And um, there's a lot of providence that was going on in there. Um, but I think why he he was chosen was his interest. He had both a strong interest in religion and science. And that's what uh, this particular revelation needed. A person who was who was uh, very interested and able in both kinds of things to try to bring these two things together. But as we said, there there are also other people receiving uh, similar information. So Swedenborg's playing this particular role and and sharing it in this particular way that we think is very valuable. But he's yeah, he's really not the only person. <laughs> Love oh, it. Well, yeah. one one other little um, angle that is coming to me about that is that uh, he was a random guy in Sweden, but at a time when. Europe was very interconnected. Um, and like I said, he was traveling to Europe and England and his specific revelation uh, was sort of really going to the heart of what was Christianity. And so it kind of was, and he, Sweden at the time, there was the church of Sweden, which was the Lutheran and, um, and he had connections in England where you had the Anglican church and he was connected with the, uh, you know, theologians in Germany and other places. And so um, this, where sort of the hub of Western Christianity of that day, which was at its, you know, inner end, according to Swedenborg, like it had completely fallen away from um, uh, love at its core with, with the doctrines that it was teaching. And, and so that uh, he was, kind of not just this random guy in Sweden so much as somebody who was just connected enough to 
to be able to be familiar with that Christian doctrine and write uh, a reframing of it and be able to really go head to head with the doctrines of the times and, and the practices of the times and stuff to be able to um, uh, be offering what he calls true Christianity, you know, this doctrine of the doctrine of the new church, which really does go beyond Christianity. Um, and yet it was really important, like part of the purpose of Swedenborg's work through, you know, the Lord's purpose for him was to address the issues that were going on in Christianity specifically. And so then, um, and then, and then it could expand out from there. So that uh, in that way, his sort of geographic location and everything was sort of right for the times. Um, Yes. And, And because he was also a scientist, he could bring rationality. It was a time where it was time for, uh, spirituality and religion to be offered to the rational mind. Um, it was time when humanity was losing interest in just like believe without understanding. And so Swedenborg was somebody cause he had a very sharp scientific mind and, and rational mind that he could bring that in like that. Yeah. You can engage in this rationally and it can make sense and everything. So he, he did have a unique combination of, um, skill sets that were just very right, as well as circumstances, like Chelsea says. Yeah, awesome. Cara, do you want to weigh in? My only thought is um, in the Judeo-Christian world, you know, I guess uh, Moses was just some random guy in a desert, and uh, Joseph and Mary was some random young kids in Bethlehem, and Isaiah, and all those people were pretty random people. And who knows what our, you know, what our calling and it are and our individual um, life with the Lord's bidding is going to be. It's just interesting to contemplate. I love that. All these, all these great random people. Uh, so I'll, I'll close off by saying everything has a purpose, a means, and a result. So the Swedenborg phenomenon, we know what the results have been to this point. This very show that we're doing is one of the results that came out of Swedenborg getting these spiritual experiences. We can't really know the purpose. I mean, that's in the Lord, and and maybe someday we'll understand it. Who knows? But we do know Swedenborg is the means, right? He is how this came about. Um, so I don't think Swedenborg was the only one this stuff was revealed to. There, There's elements of what he describes all over the place. Buddhism has huge currents of what he's talking about. Christianity, uh, as you guys mentioned, a few, a few other examples. I do think Swedenborg is the greatest single collection of spiritual wisdom anywhere. And there's a lot of stuff in there you can't find anywhere else. So why why him in particular? Well, like what, what was Swedenborg? He was a phenomenological recording machine. I, you talk about him figuring out stuff about anatomy. He was very used to go looking at something, studying it, cataloging it in, in an organized way, writing like a maniac and publishing and getting it out. Like he was built for that. His whole career was leading him up to that. So what's the results? Well, when he hits this spiritual revelation for, for 30 years or whatever, if it happens to any of us, it would have been great. But would we have come away with these clear, systematic books that then people hundreds of years later could still be making hay with? I think that it's because he could leave a record of this in this particular way that 
that God is trying to do something and he's not the only iron God's got in the fire, but it, it's, it's pretty potent. It's a pretty hot one. So, uh, so there's a, a, a couple of other thoughts about him. Sweden, the random dude from Sweden and, and what, what he's doing. But I love that question. As I said, that we, we have to be able to examine that kind of stuff. So we're not all just here saying, yeah, great. Swedenborg. Yeah. Embrace that, that it's weird, but see if you find something that, that rings true for you. Um, and if it was up to me, we'd talk about it forever, but we got to go. Guys, this is the end of the show. It's 416, where, where we are, wherever you are. So that's that's it. Thank you so much. I just want to say to the, to the donors, we had eight donors, five brand new donors in there, $55 raised, $510 going right into off the left eye with our match. Thank you. Let's give them a round of applause. And if you're watching after the fact, you can still contribute to that match. You can still make our weekly total go up. Just get in there, otle.cosvox.com. And just so you know that your money's going somewhere, we're going to continue with our programming. This Sunday, we have an episode of our excellent podcast, Inside Off the Left Eye, which is called Anxiety Help and the Sudden Title Change of True Christianity. Some intrigue there. And then next week is a break week. Okay, listen, we can't <laughs> put out content all the time, every day. We're a small team, and we're putting out a ton of it. Next week, we will not be having a Monday night show or news from heaven, but you'll still be getting your short clips. But we're back with a vengeance the following week. We have the show premiering that Monday, the practical but weird way to deal with anxiety. Very excited about that as we continue our anxiety series. Hope that uh, this show was able to put you all in some kind of good mood. Thanks, panel. That was, uh, that was super fun. Mm -hmm. It was. Yep. Thanks so much. Really great to be here. Yeah. Yeah. Thank, thanks for playing along, everybody. Submitting the questions and donating. It's very awesome. Yeah, really. I mean, there's all we're, we're putting ourselves out there. It could be a very quiet show if nobody participated. So you guys made it happen. And hopefully, you know, I definitely feel like just seeing the input from all of you in the audience and you on the panel, I feel like I'm growing spiritually and hopefully everyone feels like that's the same. And uh, we hope you take something positive from this out, out into the world. And we'll see you soon on uh, the next program you watch.